When I wrote this sermon about two months ago, I, I love giving sermons titles. So I thought I would call this The Sinner Seeking Saviour. But I just got a new set of dentures. And every time I had the letter S, it would whistle. And I thought, I really can't preach on the sinner, sinner seeking saviour. Uh, uh, so the, here is a sermon about a money mad man who finds the sinner seeking saviour. And that's the direction of Christianity. Religion is man searching for God. Christianity is God finding man. So I thought I could preach on the little man with the big problem. Because here's a man who is short in stature, but big in problems. He's a Jew, but employed by the Romans. He's a tax collector, the most hated people. And he was wealthy in the grip of greed. I thought I could title this Never the Same Again. Because the incident with Zacchaeus demonstrates the transformational power of the gospel. He got out of bed that morning, you know, a a traitor to Israel, and he went to bed that night the same day, a child of Abraham. Everything old was made new. It was a wonderful outcome. The sinner found forgiveness. The outcast was restored. But then I thought, no, really, this is a story of outrageous grace. I'm now going to tell you my favorite Polish word. It's the Polish word for grace, and it is waska. Everybody say waska. So so I want to tell you, Pastor David, you need to get a dog. Get another dog. Get a huge, hungry, hairy hound and call him waska. You, You little, naughty little waska. So, uh, grace is so big, you need adjectives to describe it. So we have amazing grace, abundant grace, splendid grace, magnificent grace, multicolored grace, multi-featured grace. But my favorite description is outrageous grace. It was outrageous for Jesus to enter Jericho. A small town conquered and then cursed by Joshua some 1,500 years before. But grace is greater than any curse and replaces cursing with blessing. You might think I'm in the wrong place. I'm in a cursed place. This is too far. But grace is not affected by your location. Oh, but it's outrageous that Jesus would spend time with a little man. He's too short. Most of us are unhappy with our physical stature. You know, we would rather be taller or shorter or more slender. Or You don't have to be tall to reach God because grace will always reach you. Oh, but it's outrageous to visit the home of someone considered Jericho's most sinful man, a tax-collecting trader. They were always described with sinners, tax collectors and sinners, The townspeople considered that he was too bad. But this is what is outrageous about grace. No one is too bad. But but this sinner, he's broken the law in so many ways. He's a traitor, a thief, an embezzler. In our opinion, he is too wicked. But grace is greater than the opinions of men. And grace is greater than law. But, But this man is in the grip of greed. The size of his bank account is actually greater than his physical height. 
you know, he, he, greed has got him. He's got money through extortion. But the power of grace breaks the grip of greed. Ah, oh, but Jesus, his past disqualifies him. When he signed that contract to work for the Romans, he walked away from the covenant. His past is too dark. But grace is greater than your history. So, so get ready. We are going to Jericho. You need to fasten your seatbelts because it may be a bumpy ride. So here we go. This is uh, verse 1 of Luke chapter 19. And this is what it says. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Jericho is a small town on the west bank of the Jordan River. It's a small town. In the days of Jesus, it was only two or 3,000 people. And it was situated on two major routes, a trade route north and south and the pilgrim route to Jerusalem east to west. Jericho is below sea level. It's at the bottom of the climb that takes you to Jerusalem. Now, uh, the height, about the distance from uh, Midland. What's the town above Midland? going on the eastern highway. What's It's about that distance and about that height. And Jesus enters Jericho. When Jesus entered Jericho, the curse was lifted because wherever Jesus is, curses leave. But look what it says. He was passing through. That's what everybody did. Jericho was a transit town. It was a truck stop. There were toll gates. Hey, Jericho, this is your moment because it's the only recorded incident when Jesus came to Jericho. He's en route to Jerusalem. He's headed for Palm Sunday. He's headed for the Passion Week and the cross. Jericho, he's never coming back. This is your moment. Verse 2. A man was there whose name was Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. That verse tells us four things. The first thing it tells us is his name, which was what? What does it mean? (laughs) It means pure and righteous. How ironic that the town who considered Zacchaeus to be the most wicked of sinners, every time they mentioned his name, they were saying, you're pure, you are righteous. He was a tax collector. How did they collect? How did the Romans collect taxes? They did it not by tax forms, but by booths on the side of the road. And the Romans set a rate of tax for people, their animals, and the produce that they were carried. And the Romans set the tax, and then they employed nationals to work for them, but they didn't pay them any money. Say, that sounds like the government I know. So um, (laughs) they allowed the tax collectors to add a percentage. And they could add any percentage. So if it was four drachmas for a person to walk through the tax gates, the the tax collector could charge five drachmas or six drachmas. Didn't matter. And he would keep the percentage for themselves. And if there were any arguments, there would always be a Roman soldier there to ensure that you paid up. Now, not only was Zacchaeus a tax collector, what does it say? He was the chief tax collector. He had reached the top of the tree. He was the regional supervisor. He ran the region's tax system. He was, and then it says, he was wealthy. 
Because on this major trade route and on this pilgrim road, there were always people, a steady stream of pilgrims and traders, and he would get his share of all what was collected. He had made a killing. Verse 3, it says this. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. Zacchaeus was curious. He'd heard the stories. The prophet from Nazareth, the healer from Galilee, you know, this young carpenter's son, and all the miracles that he had done. And then Jericho is only two, 3,000 people. And sitting by the side of the road leading into Jericho was a blind man, Bartimaeus, who every day stretched out his coat and begged for alms for the blind. Good place. The people are going to Jerusalem. The pilgrims are growing. Uh, you know, a, a bit of a gift, a good spot to... And then Bartimaeus hears the noise. There's a crowd coming. It's a significant crowd, many thousands and so he, he called, who's coming, who's coming? Jesus of Nazareth. C- can you feel the hairs on the back of Bartimaeus' neck begin to rise? Because he had heard the stories of Jesus healing blind people. And so in a loud voice, he starts to shout, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. And the deacon said, you're a new person to our church and we're so glad you are here. Shut up, blind beggar. Back in your box. Jesus has no time for you. Zacchaeus said, I'm really sorry to have disturbed the meeting. Sorry, Bartimaeus said, I'm really sorry to have disturbed the meeting. Forgive me. (laughs) He says, he shouted even louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Jesus stopped. An amazing thing. He's on the way to the cross. Nobody could stop him. Neither are the people in the towns that he went through, nor the disciples, nor Satan himself. But a man crying out in faith will always get the attention of Jesus. So Jesus stops and he says, bring him to me. He says to the blind man, what would you like? Do you need a house? We can arrange that. Maybe you will need a wife. We've got connections on social media. We can arrange that. Money, that's no problem. What would you like? You see, if you want a miracle from Jesus, you need to be clearly and specific. You know, I want to see. Jesus speaks the word and blind Bartimaeus is healed. The news filled the town. So not only is the crowd with Jesus, now the whole town is coming out. So Jesus is making his way through, and the crowd that might have been three, 4,000 is now five or 6,000, and Zacchaeus hears Jesus is coming, but it's a huge crowd. He can't see over their shoulders, and he knows some of those people, and they know him. This is not a good place. So what does he do? In verse 4, this is what it says, he ran ahead. South Australia, Adelaide is famous for its Christmas pageant. Do you have anything like that in... So, so, so imagine this. Here is the Christmas pageant, and there's a little kid running ahead of the pageant, and he's saying, the pageant's coming. The pa-. You know, he's skipping and jumping. That's exactly what Zacchaeus is doing. He's unconcerned about losing his dignity. The head of the tax department is like an excited child. This little man is resourceful. 
because there he knows there is a fig tree, a sycamore fig tree. Do you have any of those in, in Perth? Because in Adelaide, we've got a stack of what are called Moreton Bay fig trees, and they are magnificent things. If I was a little boy, I'd want to climb those. Lots of low-hanging branches and lots of foliage. I can climb, I can see, but not be seen because Jesus was coming that way. Verse 5, here we go. This is when it gets exciting. When Jesus, come on, help me. When Jesus reached the spot. Oh, I've got a spot in my life. I could take you to, to an exhibition center in Birmingham, England, when in July 1960, as an eight-year-old boy, I stood on a spot and gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I could take you to that spot today, and I would sense the same sense of forgiveness and grace and salvation. So, so where was your spot, Pastor David? My spot is a point pairing. Um, when I was eight years old at oh. a children's camp. Your spot? That was my spot. Where was your spot, Raju? In, in Nepal, when I was 12 years old, in the church, I stood up to accept Jesus. This was in a cathedral? This was in, a... in the church building in Nepal. And, and yeah. Where was that place? Where was the in church? In Kathmandu. In Kathmandu? Yes. And was it a... Where were you raised? In the orphanage. So here's an eight-year-old snotty-nosed kid in Birmingham, England. And here's an eight-year-old snotty-nosed kid in Port Point Perrin. And here's an orphan in Nepal. And we all found our spot. Where's your spot? Where's the place where Jesus encountered you? Don't you love the Bible? Just a little verse brings all sorts of ideas. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. Oh, Zacchaeus, you are trying to hide from the all-seeing God. By the way, Zacchaeus, the Holy Spirit's right next to you on that seat. You know, you can't hide. So so he says, uh, he looks up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down. What does he say? Right now. I'm never coming back here, Zacchaeus. This is your day. This is your spot. And this is your moment. Come down immediately because I have an imperative to fulfill. I've got a divine destiny on my life and on your life because I must stay at your house today. The word means lodging. Doesn't mean visiting. Doesn't mean a you know, quick cup of afternoon tea. He said... I'm planning to stay at your, your place tonight. I hope your guest room is ready. I've got 12 disciples. <laughs> hope, hope the ensuite's working because some of them are fishermen. And, and you know, uh, I, I must stay at your house. Don't make Jesus a visitor. Make him a resident. Show me, show me the next verse. So he came down at once. And welcomed him gladly. gladly. (laughs) This was the happiest day of Zacchaeus' life. I thought I wanted to see him. Now he's coming to stay at my place. You know, I mean, nobody in this town thinks I'm anything. Jesus thinks I'm somebody. 
and he's staying at my place. <laughs> this is a happy day. Now, uh, let me explain. That, that story of the children's church, the, the White House, let me explain how rich people built their houses. You know, large block, nice house with a large courtyard in front. Because when you held dinners, you would open what we would describe as bifold doors. You understand that term? And people who were not invited to the dinner could stand in the courtyard and watch. This was the evening's entertainment. You know, who's, uh, who's, who's invited? Who isn't invited? What's on the menu? You know, uh, and it, it was entertainment. So can you see? that the crowd is now going with Zacchaeus and Jesus and the disciples, edging their way to his house. Verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter. There are words in the English language that describe their definition. Mutter. Mutter, mutter, mutter. Grumble, mumble, groan, complain. You know, uh, what are they saying? He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Criticism never builds faith. Let me say that to you again. Criticism never builds faith. And if you mix with moaners and groaners, you will moan and groan. If you listen to muttering, what you hear, you'll begin to speak. Avoid those people like the plague because those people don't understand outrageous grace. I should go back to my notes and find where I am. So, what do you mean, yes? Her dad transformed my life. If anybody ever met um, Jim Molino, anybody ever meet him? He, he, I don't know how to describe him, but um, he spoke what became the word of God to my life. So, you look all right, Bethan. Where were we? I don't know. They were outraged. The crowd were outraged. Jesus, this is outrageous. You would come. But this is grace. We deserve judgment and receive forgiveness. We deserve penalty and receive blessing. We deserve nothing and receive everything. So when the prodigal son returned home, he wasn't dressed as he'd left. You know, he was dressed in rags. You know, he, he was dirty, unkempt. Uh, and the father sees him, runs to him. The, the boy has lost his coat and his ring and his shoes and his inheritance. But the father welcomes him as if he's never been away and says that the servants get the best robe, <coughs> put some shoes on his feet and kill that fatted calf. Let's celebrate. Let's party. And then the older brother came home and said, there's a barbecue going on. It's that fatted calf. Oh, what's the celebration? Your brother's back. And he said, I'm not going to celebrate with him because he didn't understand outrageous grace. The thief on the cross. I mean, the guy has got minutes to live. And he says to, in an amazing statement of faith, Lord, I know who you are. 
You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And your kingdom's going to come. And when you... Jesus is, you know, a, a terrible figure on a cross, beaten and bloodied. And the thief says, I know who you are. Remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus said, well, we have an alpha program that you need to attend for 10 weeks. <laughs> he says, he says, I don't think I'm going to make 10 minutes. Jesus said, well, you need to be baptized. And he says, I could if I would, but I'm stuck. He said, what about your tithe? He says, it's in my pocket, but I can't reach it. <laughs> what does Jesus say? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Whatever that means, whatever, whatever Jesus meant, he was saying this, your eternal future and destiny is secure. Because now, he was outrageous. What could the man offer Jesus? Nothing. And that's grace. The outrageous grace of God. When God sent Jonah to Nineveh and said to him, you need to go tell those people to repent, Jonah said they do need to repent because they're the most violent people in, in the world at that stage. And so he said, I really don't want to take that message to them. And he has this little incident with the whale, and eventually he gets there. And for 40 days, he preaches repentance. And from the king to the servant, the whole city repented. Jonah didn't like that. He really did have a suck-your-thumb pity party. I knew you'd do that. These people don't deserve salvation. It's true but they are recipients of outrageous grace. The, the, the most wicked king in Judah's history was a man called Manasseh. He was so wicked. One of the things, he, he offered his children burnt by fire to idols. God said this, because of your wickedness, I will wipe Jerusalem like a man wipes a dish and turns it upside down. So the Assyrians came, besieged Jerusalem, captured uh, Manasseh, gouged out his eyes, wrapped him in thorns, and led him away to their prison. And in prison, he repented. Outrageous grace. God forgave him and restored him to the kingdom in Jerusalem. Oh, Jeremy, that's not fair. Taint right, taint fair. That's exactly what it is. It is amazing grace. Jesus goes to a town called Sychar, and there at noon is a woman. That's outrageous, Jesus, for you to speak to her. And that sort of woman, you know, married five, six times, living with a guy. She's disqualified. She's a Samaritan. But she's thirsty. And Jesus, she's not worth your time. But in outrageous grace, he offers living water. Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? What does Jesus say? <laughs> I'll multiply that by 70, Peter. Oh, but that's outrageous. It's outrageous forgiveness. And that's what grace and that's what God is like. In my opinion, the most outstanding convert in the New Testament is Saul of Tarsus. Hates the name of Jesus. Despises the church. Hates the Christians. Is violent towards them. Tortures them so they would blaspheme. And then gets permission to, to go to uh, Damascus and arrest some more Christians and at noon, can you see him striding out, leading the group? And then at midday, bang. He knows it's God. 
Who are you, Lord? And the answer must have terrified him. I am Jesus. I think that that Saul is ready to be grounded into the dirt and the dust of the Damascus road. He later wrote and said, I obtained abundant grace. It's outrageous, God, for you to forgive him. I pray that in Gosnells, there will be the worst sinners in the town who will find real life at real life, who will discover outrageous grace. And so here in, here in Jericho, the crowd isn't happy, muttering, complaining, whispering, whining, moaning, groaning, because they don't understand outrageous grace. And the complaints are getting louder. The crowd has followed Jesus and Zacchaeus to his house. And maybe they're standing in the courtyard watching, criticizing. There is a mob in the front yard and it's soiling, spoiling the moment and souring the celebration. And Zacchaeus is aware of this. So this is what he says in verse 8. This is the funniest verse in the Gospels. And Zacchaeus stood up. Oh, you missed my humor. I wonder if anybody noticed. <laughs> he was vertically challenged. Was he standing on a box? Was he standing on a, on a chair? This is what he was doing. Today, I take a stand. This is my new position. This is my new posture. Look, Lord, here and now. Well, that's dramatic. Look, Lord, here and now, I give away half of my wealth to the poor. And then in a voice, not addressed to Jesus, but to the crowd in the courtyard. If any of you have grounds that I have, uh, you know, stolen from you, I'll pay it back four times. The little man has made a big statement. He's standing up, speaking to Jesus, but announcing to the crowd unchanged. So Jesus then replies, and this is verse 9, and Jesus said to him, but in speaking to Zacchaeus, he's actually speaking so the crowd can hear him, and he says, today salvation has come to what? To this house. I mean, you would want to wipe your feet because you've been at the tax collector's house But I want to tell you, I'm here not just to lift the curse off Jericho, but to pronounce blessing on this house because salvation has come to this house today because this man, this house, this man is a son of David. Verse 9 says, verse 10 says, son of Abraham. Verse 10, it says this, for the son of man, the sinner seeking savior has arrived And he has come to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus is restored to God, the covenant, the community. And this verse summarizes the ministry of Jesus. He has come, a distinct, decisive, definitive action. He's come to seek and to save, to find and to free, to rescue and restore those lives who are ruined, those lives who have perished, A saviour came, and Jesus is a wonderful saviour. He has an eye that will see you in your hiding. He has a kindness that will reach out to you. He has a grace that will transform you. He can find you, and he's willing to visit your house and transform you forever. 
Zacchaeus thought he was searching for Jesus, and all the time Jesus was searching for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was small. Jesus made him big. Zacchaeus was infamous. Jesus made him famous. Zacchaeus had money and thought he was rich. Actually, he was bankrupt until Jesus made him truly rich. Jesus entered Zacchaeus' world and then drew Zacchaeus into his world, a world of outrageous grace. Your past sins and mistakes will be cleansed. Your past values will be challenged. And your life will be changed forever. I want you to say, that is a remarkable introduction. That is a remarkable. (laughs) So here are three steps to a miracle. Oh, no. A miracle starts with desire. Zacchaeus hears about Jesus and says, I've got to go. There's a desire in his heart. But when you have a desire of God, for God, people get in the way. There's a crowd. They're my enemies. They, they don't love me. They don't like me. You know, I'm small. I can't see over their shoulders. So to the desire, you have to add determination. You've you got to climb that tree. You've got to make every effort to, to put yourself in a place where God can touch you. So when we put out the miracle chair... And you thought, I can't wait for this because hundreds will come. Here's this big guy, Fritz. Comes out, sits on the miracle chair. Took a bit of determination because he was, I think he might have been the first one, to, whatever he was. You know, you've got to get out of your seat, come and sit on the chair in front of everybody. Hey, Zacchaeus, come on down. Determination. But to the desire and determination, it's got to lead to a decision. It was a very smart decision to climb the tree. It was a better decision to come down. So let me tell you about the greatest decision I ever made. My dad and mom, my dad was a pastor all my life. He might have led your family to the Lord, my, my dad. So... so There is, of course, a place in heaven called Preacher's Kids Corner, (laughs) where just because you are the pastor's son or daughter, you get to heaven. When I was eight years of age, in the city of Birmingham, they had a large Billy Graham-type crusade, and uh, it went for five weeks, and uh, hundreds and thousands came, and hundreds and hundreds got saved, and I hated it. I hated it because when they started to sing, just as I am, the haunting song, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. I had this urge, I've got to go forward. But I didn't want to. I didn't want my parents to think that I needed saving. So I would stay at home in a big house just on the fringe of Birmingham, and I was terrified staying at home alone, but I didn't want to go to church, to to the crusade. So after five weeks, I thought, it's over, and they announced, we have another week's meetings. It's been so successful. And then they had, on the final night, an after-church meeting, and I said to my parents, I want to go. What for? I want to give my life to Jesus. 
I don't remember what the preacher preached. I do remember the song and then the invitation. And an eight-year-old boy came down, walked to the front with maybe 80, 100 more. And a man came and stood by me and prayed the sinner's prayer. And I've often thought, I wonder what he thought that night. He's a snotty-nosed eight-year-old kid from the back streets of Birmingham, just another little kid. Did he ever dream that that boy would preach the gospel to the world? It's not where you start. It's where you finish. Who would have thought that a Nepalese orphan would find Jesus and serve God in another nation? It's not where you... Who would have thought that a tax-collecting trader would become a hero of the gospel? So in the month of May, Bernice and I were back in England, and I went back to the city of my birth, Birmingham, and preached in a church there. It, it raises all sorts of emotions. And I told them about the decision that I had made in 1960 in Bingley Hall Exhibition Center. And a guy stood up and he said, I was there that night and I gave my life to Jesus that day. He had a spot like I had a spot in a Point Perrin camp in a Nepalese orphanage. Here's the wonderful news of the gospel because some of you have stood at this altar and discovered that's the spot where God touched me and changed me forever. Makes you want to shout. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Your blood runs in my veins. So I have to do this. I have to do what I'm going to do now. I've got to give you an opportunity to get out of your tree because Jesus is calling your name and he's saying, I have outrageous grace. I'm not looking at your past. I'm not looking at your physical stature. I'm not looking at your history or what the opinions of people are about you. Zacchaeus, come down. Would you bow your heads in prayer, please? Hey, Jericho, this is your day. Hey, real life, this is your moment. Hey, sir, lady, young man, young woman, this can be your spot today. This can be the day where you experience God's outrageous grace. And if you would say to me, Jeremy, you've been preaching to me today. I'm coming out of my tree. I would like to meet you. I would like to pray with you so that I might know who you are. Just look at me. Raise your hand and say, Jeremy, you've been preaching to me. I need God's outrageous grace. Yes, thank you. Thank you, lady. Thank you, sir. Anyone else want to join these people? It's your day. It's your moment. This is the spot. This is the time. Zacchaeus, you come down right now. Sir, let me ask you again. Come and experience God's outrageous grace. Anyone else want to join these people? So, Lord, I thank you that you know the names and the nature and the history of these people that have responded. I thank you, Lord, that you're not looking at our past, but our future. And it's good in you. We are praying for your grace 
to reach them. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. I'm going to take one minute. Look at me for a moment. More than 100 times the word grace appears in the New Testament. More than 100 times. 25% refers to saving grace. 75% refers to enabling grace. So God puts you as the pastor of the church and then gives you grace to do it. Isn't that good? So that the excellency of the power is not of us, but it's of God. So if you're a father, God gives you the grace to be the father your children need. If you're a husband, God gives you the grace to be the husband that your wife needs. And whatever you are in life, God empowers you with his grace, with his outrageous grace. I want you to put your hand over your heart and say this. I receive the grace of God to enable me to live. To be the wife or mother, father, whoever you are. I receive your outrageous grace. 